0: Thank you. It's good to be here. Um, as we said in our sermon series this Christmas season, we are looking at what it means for God to be incarnate, and then what that means for us today. If you were here last Sunday, Jody uh, shared from the first 13 verses of John chapter one, and this morning we're going to look at verses 14 to 18. Now, if you've got a Bible with you, you might want to have that handy. Or whether it's a hard copy or on your smartphones or whatever devices, um, yeah, just have that ready. I'll be back soon, a World War II soldier said to his young wife and infant son uh, before he went off to fight. And four years of war and fighting went by. And during this time, the young mum would all oh, take out a portrait of her husband and show the little boy and say, Look, this is your daddy. One day, he's going to come back. But in truth, she didn't really know what to expect. One morning, the boy said to her, Mommy, wouldn't it be great if Daddy would just step out of that picture frame? And you know what? In a sense, that's exactly what happened over 2,000 years ago, more than 2,000 miles away. The birth of a baby in a random corner of the Middle East, in a small town called Jerusalem, God the Son stepped out of heaven and became a man so that you and I could look at Jesus and say, That's what God looks like. Let me read the passage to you from John chapter 1, verses 14 to 18. It says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came. From the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. The Apostle John is describing this stepping out, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This verse is the climax of John's prologue as he completes his introduction of Jesus. And he proclaims his humanity in the midst of his divinity. Now there's a, there's a lot packed into this little section of John's gospel. But in the short time that we have, I've just got two simple headings to help us keep on track as we think about the incarnation of Jesus. And so my first heading is Jesus, the God-man. And my second heading is Jesus, the bringer of grace and truth. So let's think about that first one, Jesus, the God-man. Verse 14, John says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. John is making an astonishing statement. His Jewish and Greek audience would have been amazed to hear this. Now, Greek thinkers generally thought that God was too low. You know, gods like Zeus and Hermes, uh, they were just simply supermen. Jews, on the other hand, generally thought that God was too high. They just couldn't comprehend or get their heads around the fact that this God of the Old Testament scriptures could come down and be incarnate. They found it very difficult to accept that. And to both these groups of people, John is saying, the Word became flesh. It didn't simply appear to be human, but actually became flesh. The eternal Logos, the source of light and life, nothing less than God himself, took on flesh and became one of us. The God who created the universe, matter, space, time, everything, chose to become one of us. Just like us, Jesus was born of a woman, So, he was born in a miraculous manner. He grew up from infancy to adulthood. He experienced hunger, pain, joy, sorrow. He drank, he ate, he slept, he was tired, he grew weary. He wept, he felt pain, he rejoiced, he was rejected. He was moved by compassion and anger and much more besides. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Uh, there's a story told of a little girl who cries out to her mum at night in her bedroom, saying, Mummy, I'm afraid to be in my dark room all alone. Uh, her downstairs somewhere. She replies, It's all right, honey. The Lord is with you. The little girl calls back, Yes, but I want someone with skin on. <laughs> you see, Jesus is God with skin on. And he has come so that you and I need never be afraid again. In the beginning was the word. And that word Jesus, that divine word, has now taken on human flesh. Fully God and fully man. I think this is really important to get our heads around because a lot of people today are very comfortable and happy to hear about Jesus' humanity. And they consider him to be a very good and nice chap with moral teaching. But when you claim that he was God, then you're often met with hostility or indifference and sometimes even ridicule. But John wants us to know that Jesus took upon himself our full human nature, except, of course, for sin. From that miraculous moment when Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, he will never cease to be human but at the same time, he's also fully God. When he stepped out, Jesus became the visible expression of the invisible God. In Colossians 1.15, the Apostle Paul reminds us that Christ is the image of the invisible God. Again, he says, For in him, in Christ, the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And it is in the face of Jesus Christ that we see God and that we can know him. Jesus became, if you like, a visual aid to reveal the nature of God the Father. Jesus was God in a suit of flesh. Jesus was God expressing himself in a language that you and I could understand and relate to and identify with. Jesus was God announcing to the world, I have come. Why? Because you and I need rescuing. Jesus came willingly to save us. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church at Philippi, he says that Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or something to be used to his own advantage. Instead, he took on the form of a servant, and he died a humiliating and painful way on the cross of Calvary. And then he was exalted And so for us, it was to experience salvation through his sacrificial death. God understands the sin and brokenness of this world. And he loves us enough to send his son to take on flesh so that we might experience his grace, his love, his mercy. But Jesus didn't just take on human flesh. He also made his dwelling among us says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God in Christ took up residence on planet Earth among people. Did you notice that John doesn't say, oh, the the word lived among us? Instead, he used the unusual Greek word, which is pronounced, and I think this is correct because I'm not a Greek scholar, skino. But when that's translated to dwelt, it literally means to pitch up a tent or to tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle in the Old Testament, it was the place where God met with his people in their desert wanderings, and you can read about that in the book of Exodus. It was like a portable temple, a tent, if you like, where God chose to dwell in all his glory, a place where heaven and earth overlapped, God manifesting his presence among his people on earth. I wonder if anyone's been um, camping this year. Any show of hands? Anyone been camping? Oh, a few. Quite a few, actually. Yeah, it's great. We went camping in May. We had a great time in Oswald Street with a bunch of other folks. Great fun. Yes, it was cold. It rained. We felt the wind, but thankfully, the tent held. It kept us dry. It didn't get blown away. You see, a tent is like a fragile shell, isn't it? It's easily knocked can easily fold it down. Sometimes the word tent is used to refer to the human body. It speaks of the vulnerability of life within the body. And John is telling us that God in Christ became a man. He restricted himself to the tent of a body that would be vulnerable and fragile, would be knocked and broken on the cross of Calvary. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He came and lived among us. I like how uh, the message paraphrase Bible uh, puts it. Eugene Patterson who wrote verse 14, he translated it like this. He said, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Moved into our neighborhood. This is why the angel says in Matthew 1.23 says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. And so, in the busyness of this Christmas season, I want to encourage us to pause and to ponder Jesus, the God-man. God with us. You see, the coming of Jesus is the fulfillment of a long-awaited Savior, as foretold by the Old Testament prophets. The silence is finally broken. Jesus has arrived. He's taken up residence among us, says John. He's pitched up his tent in our midst. And this is really incredibly good news for all of us, for all humanity, which brings me to my second point. Jesus, the bringer of grace and truth. Now, there are many definitions of grace. Um, Someone Defined it as that which God does within you, but without you. Um, I don't know about you, but I like this acrostic that defines grace. Have you heard uh, the one, God's riches at Christ's expense? Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. And perhaps the simplest way to put it is to say that it's the generosity of love. Grace is the generosity of love. Grace is love giving itself. A little later in John 3:16, you know that very famous, well-known verse. It says, "God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life." Grace is the mercy and love of God, which he freely gives to all of us. Now we don't deserve God's grace; we can't earn it by our good works. It's a free gift. In his letter to the church at Ephesus, again, St. Paul, that great apostle, reminds them of God's gracious salvation which has come through Jesus. He says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions, for it is by grace that you have been saved. And then a little later he says, God's saving work is a gift to be received freely gift to be received by faith it's not that something that we can earn or something we can contribute to or something we can work up in our own doing no he says for it is by grace you've been saved through faith not from yourselves it is a free gift of God not by works so that no one can boast God showers his grace on us simply because he loves us that's grace, love giving itself I suppose the question for us this morning is, are we ready to receive that indescribable grace, that lavish grace that God gives? Now, truth, on the other hand, is the manifestation of reality. John says that that reality is found in Jesus, the Word made flesh. Later in John 14, Jesus says, I am the truth. It's part of his nature. It's who he is. And when we look at Jesus, we see truth personified. When we read his truth in the Bible, it starts shine of shines a light into our lives and reveals what we are really like deep down inside. So why is Jesus being full of grace and truth such good news? You know, why, why does John write, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us? We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He could have said, full of joy, full of power, or any other number of things. Why does he say, full of grace and truth? Well, John tells us why in verse 17. He says, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, the problem is that human beings, you and I, we're not able to keep God's just laws Ever since humanity's disobedience in the Garden of Eden, our relationship with God and with each other has broken down. Sin entered and separation happened. The Bible speaks of that brokenness, of that sinfulness in, in lots of different ways. It says, you know, we, we are lawless, we, we are disobedient, we fail to live up to God's standards, we fail to live up to our own standards, we lie, we suppress God's truth, we don't love our neighbours as we should... We're happy just to sort of go along with the crowd. I suppose in one word, we are lawbreakers, if you're really honest with ourselves. You know, if I'm not feeling very well, and I make an appointment with my GP to go and see them, when I get there, I want them to tell me what's wrong, what medicines I need to take to get me on the way to recovery. I want them to tell me the truth. I don't want to just say, oh, nice to see you, Freddie, thanks for coming in, off you go. I want them to tell them, tell me the truth about my condition. And in other words, that's what God does for us through Jesus. He reveals the truth about our condition, that we are separated from him, that we desperately need his forgiveness, his grace. And he shows us how we can be reconciled through Jesus taking our place on the cross. By his death on the cross, Jesus made it possible for us to be forgiven and brought us back into a relationship with God. God's grace made available to each one of us through Christ Jesus. The good news of the Christmas message and this Christmas story is that grace and truth came in Christ Jesus. God, because he is rich in grace, chose to save us through Jesus. The Word became flesh. He became one of us, moved into our neighborhood, full of grace and truth. Jesus is full of grace. He welcomed sinners. He ate with tax collectors. He hung out with people that the religious authorities and societies sort of didn't want to get along with, didn't want to hang out with. He had compassion on the crowds when they were hungry, and far away from home. He welcomed little children. He healed the lepers, the lame, the blind. He associated with people whom others didn't want to associate with. When he was falsely accused, he didn't retaliate. When he was arrested and condemned to die on a cross, he forgave his captors. And when he was hanging on that cross, he saved the criminal next to him who confessed Surely this is the son of God. Jesus is full of grace, but Jesus is also full of truth. He denounced many of the religious leaders of his day for being liars and hypocrites. He spoke truth to power. He called those who would be his disciples to take up their cross daily and follow him. And he wasn't afraid to challenge those with unrepentant hearts. He called them to turn to God instead of facing an eternity without God. In his life, death and resurrection, Jesus met all the just demands of the law that we might share in the fullness of God's grace and love. You see, grace and truth are two words that are at the very heart of the incarnation. Because Jesus was full of grace and truth, he died for you and me while we were yet sinners. See, grace without truth would be deceitful, and truth without grace would be condemning. The old slave trade turned uh, hymn writer and preacher, John Newton, when he was coming towards the end of his life, he said this, he said, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great saviour. No wonder he wrote that amazing hymn. Amazing grace How sweet the sound That saved a wretch like me I once was lost But now I'm found Was blind But now I see You know that's the gospel of grace Because Jesus is full of grace We can come to him Just as we are We don't have to sort of clean up our acts, Sort of prepare ourselves Get ready to come to him We can just come as we are And because he's full of truth, we can be absolutely confident in the knowledge that he will keep his promise. When he says he's going to forgive, he will keep his promise. And that forgiveness is freely available to any one of us this morning. John says that Jesus is the bringer of light and life, of grace and truth. And he's not out there to catch us out or trip us up or to sort of bring us a peg or two down. No, it's just all grace, undeserved grace. Not just for the beginning of our Christian lives, but throughout our discipleship, our walk with Jesus. His grace is unlimited. It's a bit like a picture of a waterfall. Think about the Niagara waterfall. It's like that. It's not like a little trickle. It just keeps coming, wave after, wave after wave. God's limitless, inexhaustible grace freely available to each one of us, every time, every season, every moment of every day. Advent is a season when we remember that Jesus entered our world in order to restore relationships, our relationship firstly with God and then also with each other. And in all the busyness of the festive season in the lead up to Christmas, can I encourage us to slow down, and to ponder Jesus, the God-man, Jesus, the bringer of grace and truth. The word, Jesus, became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. He came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let me close with two verses from a song Um, called Emmanuel, written by Stuart Townend, which I think poetically captures Jesus coming into the world and what that means for us. And when he uses the word man in those verses, it doesn't mean just men. He's talking about all of humanity. Men, women, young, old, children, grown-up, the whole lot. He says, From the squalor of a borrowed stable by the Spirit and a virgin's faith, to the anguish and the shame of scandal, came the Savior of the human race. But the skies were filled with the praise of heaven. Shepherds listen as the angels tell of the gift of God come down to man at the dawning of Emmanuel. King of heaven, now the friend of sinners, humble servant. In the Father's hand. Filled with power and the Holy Spirit. Filled with mercy for the broken man. Yes, he walked my road. And he felt my pain. Joys and sorrows that I know so well. Yet his righteous steps give me hope again. I will follow my Emmanuel. Let's just close with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for your scriptures, but most especially we thank you for the Lord Jesus coming down into our world. Please would you help us to ponder that. Please would you reveal more of yourself to us. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love. Amen.